Kill you with truth with my guy. Oh, wow. From the back? From, how did you have that tucked in? Did you have a, you have a, 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 a thing? I just kind of placed it there, just delicately for the yeah. moment. Yeah, well, that was something. Thank you. It's 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 it's, uh, it's Christmas season, and that is a reenactment of John McClane in the final climactic scene with Hans Gruber at the, top, the Nakatomi Plaza when he walks in. And he's bleeding out of his feet, and he's <laughs> he gets everyone laughing, and then boom, boom, because he only had two bullets. He only had two bullets left. One goes to that terrace. One hits Hans Gruber. He falls out the window, but he's holding on to Holly Gennaro, and he's falling out the window, and he's holding on to her wrist. How does she hold on to his wrist? Because Ellis had a watch that he gave her. Coked up Ellis was a, it was a, anyway. You know how it goes. Hans Gruber falls off Nakatomi Plaza. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. If if you like content like this, like and subscribe. It does help out <laughs> a lot. We'd we'd appreciate it. And we'll get to Sean Payne and Russell Wilson in just a second. But you clearly believe that that is a Christmas movie. Yeah, it is. I mean, the opening song, the opening credits is. Christmas time in Holly or whatever it is. Um, it's a run DMC Christmas song. It's at a Christmas party. It's taking place at a Christmas party in Nakatomi Plaza, uh, Nakatomi Holding Corp. Um, there's Christmas stuff everywhere. You know, when he kills one of the terrorists, he writes um, on his sweater, now I have a machine gun, ho, 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 and puts him in a Santa hat and sends him down the elevator uh, to uh, to meet his buddies. So, yeah, it's a Christmas movie. Wow, your your love for Die Hard. <laughs> it's I, unmatched. It's I, unmatched. Where, where, where does this come from? What is what is the uh, the origin story of your love of Die Hard? I don't know, man. I guess I identify with the character. Um, I've always loved that movie. One of the first rated R movies I saw. I think I was probably ten or eleven. Okay, it, uh, it stuck with me, man. And it's it's a movie that um, I'd say it's definitely my top five. For sure. Wow. Wow. Oh. All right. I, I could tell. I mean, like yeah. I've I've seen Die Hard. I mean, I oh. it's not like I haven't seen it. It's just like but, you, but have you really seen it? No, yeah. I don't think I have actually, yes, now that are. now that you bring it up. Hey, you know, if we're talking about Christmas <laughs> movies and buddies to go to movies together, because who doesn't love going to a movie with a buddy? Where do you think um Russell Wilson and Sean Payton are sitting at that movie? Um Right up front, man. They want to be as close as possible, and uh, they're sharing a tub of popcorn. That's what it is. What's going on, Russell and Sean? Man, hey, it, it's it may not be a match made in heaven right now, but I don't know. They they got to work it out, don't you think? I mean, they have to work it out. You tell me. They have to work it out for the rest of the year for sure. But do they have to work this thing out forever? And then you have Colin Coward, who we all know is you know best buddies. He's sharing oh, yeah. popcorn with Sean Payton. And he's saying that these two are two different dudes and aren't destined to be together. Mm. Well, there's a lot going on here. We talked yesterday about how Sean Payton is just mad that Russell Wilson isn't Drew Brees, right? Right. And you look back at Sean Payton's tenure with Drew Brees. They both got there in 2006. It was after Hurricane Katrina. They came in and basically took the league by storm, this new dynamic duo. They went 10-6 and six that year. But this by this time... 14 games. Drew Brees had thrown for over 4,000 yards. He was in the MVP chatter at that point. He ended up finishing second in the MVP voting that year to LaDainian Tomlinson. They went 10-6 and six at the end of the season. Um, and so it was a very different vibe than it is here for Russell. Russell, um, you know, has only thrown for 2,800 yards so far. He's not putting up the big numbers. At this point, I, I did the research. Um, 
Drew Brees had already thrown for seven 300-yard games and one 500-yard game through wow. 14 weeks. Wow. Not the same with Russell. Not the same at all. But Russell Wilson, when he first got to Seattle, they went 11-5 and five his first year there. He made the Pro Bowl his first year there. He only threw for 3,118 yards his rookie year. But they made the pro, he made the Pro Bowl, and they went 11-5. and five. So what does that tell you? There's a formula yeah. to having win this. So it's about the team, right? Sean Payton's got to figure out how to work with this guy, I think. But Sean Payton, I, I think his sensibilities as a quarterback are offended by the way Russell plays the position. Yeah. You know who another quarterback is who threw for 500 yards once? Sean Payton. In college, he holds or at least held the record at Eastern Illinois for most passing yards in a game by a quarterback. He's a guy who likes to stand in the pocket and deal and use his brain. And Russell Wilson isn't that guy. And so, um, but I think it's been both of their vested, both of their interests to figure it out. You know, it's interesting when Sean Payton, as I asked him yesterday, says, I've got a great relationship with Russell Wilson. No need for us to hash it out. Okay. That's his perspective of it. And, and maybe that's all that matters, I guess. Do you think Sean Payton should or would? And we heard from Adam Troutman yesterday saying, hey, man, this is the NFL. Stuff like this happens. It's just not that big of a deal. Do you think Sean Payton should, will address this whole situation to the team one way or the other? I thought he would. Um, I thought I think he should just because of the level of media attention it's gotten and 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 how conscious he is of that, of of the narratives. I mean, he, this guy worked in the media for a year. He came in kind of like I'm smarter than you guys in the media. And then when when he had a couple moments that did get away from him, like those stories where he said too much after a few too many lattes, he uh, he apologized. Right? He yeah. said he he took it too far. So I think you know seeing his own feedback loop of him cussing out Russell Wilson on the sideline. Maybe maybe he'll address it. But I ask you this, because there's a lot of people coming to his defense. Yeah, it's the NFL. Yeah, he's riled up. Yeah, it's great. All right. For everyone praising this feistiness, as they're calling it, name the last Super Bowl-winning coach who was meltdown Marty on the sidelines like that. Hotheads are not typically good NFL coaches. You look at the Pantheon of NFL Hall of Fame coaches, there's one who was a hothead asshole who would dress you down. And it happened to be, the guy Sean Payton learned under Bill Parcells, Bill Parcells. right? Yeah. Yeah. It feels like a, such an old school style <laughs> approach. So old school that it just seems antiquated and not all that effective now a days. I mean, listen, man, you're talking about an NFL team. You got like 20 coaches out there, maybe more, who knows? You have a whole system of the way that you do things. There, there really isn't much need to have that sort of old school moment. Parcells screaming at Phil Sims. That sort of thing. I don't know if Belichick was yelling at somebody at some point. All these guys from that tree, it just doesn't seem like that effective. And then I'm watching Hard Knocks with Mike McDaniel and Tua Tungavailoa, and it's about relationships. And that's yeah. what I do love about Hard Knocks, even though it's a little bit of propaganda. You know, I saw, you know what coach I saw just yelling at guys randomly was Deion Sanders in the Amazon because <laughs> that's all he would do. Yeah. There wasn't like it was either some sort of weird, like ethereal sort of mantras or, or him just going over in a golf cart and screaming at 19 year olds without like, you know, well, Hey, Hey, here's what we need you to do. Here's this, here's that. No, it's just, you know, he's on a, listen, he's got some foot issues. So I'm not saying it's bad that he's on a mode of transportation. I'm just saying that 
it's weird when a guy runs over to you in a golf cart. Or, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah, yeah, ex- exactly. We come I mean, and like that's great coaching. I don't know, man. I I look at how Mike McDaniel is handling things, or D'Amico Ryan's is a great young coach. Or it's hard for me to imagine Kevin O'Connell in Minnesota or some of these guys, you know, using that sort of approach. And I I can't tell you the last time I actually saw it, Nate. I, I can't. And I just think Colin Coward is not lying here. They're two different guys. And the Broncos have chosen to go with Sean Payton. And I do think they're more committed to Sean Payton than Russell Wilson. Yeah, yeah, probably so. But um, at the same time, you know, it's a new era of athlete. And um, who's to say that the next quarterback who come in is going to respond to being yelled at as well? You know, you're talking about – Exactly. So so maybe Sean Payton – needs to adjust the way he's coaching. It's not 2006 anymore. It's 2023. I mean, he was the savior after Katrina. Uh, and and now, what is he? It's the savior, savior after COVID. It's a different, it's a different vibe now, man. You got you to adjust to the way your players are and, and your surroundings. And I don't think that – well, I think he's done that. I think he's done that largely. He has. I mean, he's adjusted his style of play. He doesn't like to win like the way he has, right. but he has done it. And Russell has is actually having a good year, aside from the, you know, the low yardage because they just don't throw a lot. His touchdown and interceptions is right on par with what Drew Brees was doing that first year. Um, his completion percentage is pretty good. He's protecting the ball. He's throwing touchdowns, um, and so I, it's not horrible. It is not horrible. We're just expecting more, and I think maybe our expectations are getting ahead of us a little bit here. It's the first year. It's the first year of this experiment. Sean Payton's got to figure it out, man. And I think it's in his best best interest to do so with Russell. Like we talked about yesterday, D-Mac, Russell has not physically declined. He looks like he's pretty good physically. If he's still that same guy, Sean, you're a genius. Find a way to win. You know, it's interesting, and we'll get to uh, Drew Locke here in a second, which he had a remarkable night last night. Um, And you think about, hey, it feels good that the Broncos have seven wins, doesn't it? Seriously, they're seven and seven. Sort of feels like, well, that's that's pretty cool. Well, it's it's funny the way the way your perception goes. It changes week to week because it was awful when it was one and five, but then once it was like you know five game winning streak, it was like, no, we we got to keep winning. And now we've lost two two or three, right? Is that it or no? Anyway. Uh, yeah, Texans, then they won, yeah. and then they lost. Yeah, So now it three, feels yeah. like, oh, God, we had something, and now we're letting it slip away. So it's a week-to-week thing. Your mood changes week-to-week, but I, I hear what you're saying. But it's like, hey, Russell's having a good year. Sean Payton's a great coach, yada, 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 all that stuff. There are – let me – actually, I hope you haven't cheated on – well, not cheat, but if you don't know this, that's fine. How many teams besides the Broncos have seven or more wins in the NFL? Right now? Right now, this week. Probably 16. 20. Oh, okay. So as as good as this may feel and as better as this may be, Nate, 20 other teams besides the Broncos, so 21 total, have seven wins or more at this juncture of the season. There's only – you're only doing better than 12 teams in the entire league. (laughs) <laughs> uh, so it's it's one of these weird ones like wow you know when you just look at the balance of the rest of the league and then you look at last night for example and that is great about the nfl i i do agree like every win in the nfl is a big deal beating the patriots this week will be a big deal despite the fact you should definitely do it 
because they're just not that good of a team. And if you can't beat the Patriots this year at home, I mean, my God, you know, that would be a disaster. But when we look at the NFL, Nate, what does it take to be just an okay team and a great team? What is the difference? Um, being able to do it for 17 weeks, you know, and, and not going through these lulls and, and going through like the, the Eagles right now have lost, what, three or four straight? Um, is there it that many? Is it really three, that many? At least oh. three. It's at least wow. Three. Okay. Jeez. And so, are the Eagles a great team? Not right now. You know, the, I would say the only great team in the NFL right now are the Niners because they've been playing great lately. And so, how long can you be great? How long can you sustain it? Um, a lot of teams catch fire early in the season and fall off at the end of the season, <sighs> and vice versa. A lot of teams have struggled at the beginning of the season, or at least like you know, five hundred ball. First half of the season, catch some fire at the end, and then get some momentum going in the playoffs. That's kind of the track you want to go to. You don't want to fizzle out. You want to be peaking at that time. So it does take a season coach to be able to get his team to manage the duration of a season. Used to be 16, and we would, you know, Mike Shanahan would have a presentation for each quarter poll, essentially. Yeah. Uh, here's where we're at after four games. Historically, here's what it looks like. Here's what we got to look for. Here's what we're thinking. Here's where we stack up. And you do that every four games. You break the season up into quarters. And that's the way that you get our minds wrapped around what our task is and how to stay, you know, stay efficient yeah. and stay fresh and all that. And there are ways during the, at the, as the season drags on to keep your players fresh by changing up the schedule a little bit. Of course, game planning for your opponent, that matters a lot too. But keeping your players healthy, that matters a lot too. And so there's a lot of factors that go into playing your best ball late in the season. And Sean Payton knows that. He's done that. He's done this before. So he's the Broncos and Broncos fans are in good hands with Sean Payton at this point in the season. He knows what to apply here, what type of pressure and when to take off, you know, his foot off the gas for these guys. It's just will the players respond to it? You know, it's interesting. I'm seeing today on social media, especially with Broncos fans, a great love and remembrance of Drew Locke as Drew had a spectacular <laughs> I, I don't know if it's a spectacular game, but he had a spectacular drive, man. We're talking Monday <laughs> yeah. night football against a really good team uh, in front of a home crowd. And, man, he had a couple of incredible throws late in that game, one to DK Metcalf and a touchdown pass that you thought, I thought he was just going to play it safe and go for the field goal to win. Okay, Nate, I'll, I'll ask you the what if game. Ooh. What if, what if? Drew Locke was nurtured not by Vic Fangio, who couldn't remember it was Drew Locke's birthday on the same day as Teddy Bridgewater, epic, and then was bundled in a trade with Shelby Harris, Noah Fan, and a partridge in a pear tree to Seattle for Russell Wilson. What if the Broncos had been patient and just tried to develop Drew Locke uh, with, with, with the right coach? Yeah. You know, I think Drew Locke would always, I mean, I, I was always a Drew Locke supporter. I wanted to see what he could do uh, if given the support that you just described. But I think that he would have always left us scratching our heads, you know, every other or every two or three games with, you know, he played, he had, he was 22 or 33 last night, 208 yards and a touchdown. Um, not a bad game, not an insanely awesome game either, but I think Drew Locke has a propensity to get a little loosey-goosey, you know, and I think that's just in his nature, just like raindrops, balling, like backstab, right. off the, you know, it, it just right. like, I've never, I've never been an NFL quarterback, so I don't know 
how feasible it is to really coach all that stuff out of you. But he's been there for a couple of years. He's had some good coaching and um, he played well last night, but he wasn't able to beat out Gino and Gino's played, you know, okay. He hasn't been amazing. I think that Drew Locke, the interesting part of that conversation is what else we would have been able to build around him to make him better by not giving up all that stuff because so much attention was given to, we got to find the right quarterback at any cost. We will give up massive amounts of picks and players just to get this guy here. You move a mountain for one guy and he comes and he's not the guy you thought he was either. He's just a human being, just like all these other dudes. And you realize, holy shit, the play of the quarterback is buoyed by a strong team around him. What do you know? You know, I'm not saying Brock Purdy doesn't deserve MVP consideration, but look at the team around him. Right. It's so strong and everybody's doing their part so effectively that he becomes part of that machine and just has to do his job. And for for Drew Locke, he always thought he had, he had to do more. He had to do more than his job. And he would try to make some heroic play and some heroic throw. And he didn't stick to the script or the program like a good quarterback does. I don't know if he has that in his blood personally, but um, it was great to see that last night. I like Drew. I, I thought he was like, um, he wasn't a jerk whatsoever. Oh, I always no. thought he was a pretty cool dude. I thought it was a weak moment with the bracelets and the COVID stuff. Um, and not to get political here, but just because it put the team in jeopardy and it resulted in the worst Broncos game, most humiliating thing of all time. I totally disagree with that. That statement that was the most humiliating game Broncos of all time. And I think that history has borne out the dissipation of that idea based on a lot of things. What was more of- embarrassing than that? The Spygate thing with Josh McDaniels. That was way more embarrassing. I don't know, dude. I mean, you had look, to play look, a game without a league. quarterback. But most people thought that the league was, was full of shit for doing what they did. And so the rules, in, in hindsight, about COVID and, and contact tracing were ridiculous. And in hindsight, maybe not as effective as some might have hoped. And so there was an instinct to push those the envelope on those rules because – they were fucking stupid. And 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 if you're trying to build it, like Drew Locke wanted to be good at football. He wanted to get close to his teammates. And so that mistake was born of that instinct to be better and to be so like, you know, those guys at that year, it was crazy. They had to be they couldn't even be around each other. There were Zoom meetings. They like like eating alone in their cars. It was so stupid how that that goes against everything you are as a teammate, as a you know, as, as a brother in that locker room. And so if those guys took off their thing and yes, it was a mistake. It was stupid. They shouldn't have done it. But the most embarrassing moment in Broncos history, I don't think so. I think the fans are a lot more sympathetic to that mistake than you think. Well, okay. Fair enough. I mean, I think it's an organizational sort of meltdown too, you know, and, and, and everything is different there. John Elway is not there anymore. Vic Fangio is not there. None of those quarterbacks are there. I mean, literally nobody's there that was connected to it whatsoever. In fact, not only that, but we got the coach who was on the other team at that time, Sean Payton. So, I mean, you know, it's, it's kind of a moot point because so many things have actually changed since then. It it was just a matter of whether you like it or not. There are certain rules that are set up that you have to abide by, whether or not they're stupid or dumb or hindsight is 2020. You, You still put your organization in a situation and don't forget what led to the extreme punishment the NFL gave to the Broncos was enacted probably because the Broncos had had multiple other violations going on up to that point. So they had no sympathy 
from the NFL whatsoever. That being said, it's a lot to ask of a young guy to stand up when a lot of older guys are doing something. And I think that's what you're hitting on with Drew anyway, is that there are some really cool moments out there, but you never know what the next moment's going to be. It's unpredictable at best. And it's not necessarily the most mature sort of approach to to everything. That being said, great dude. Great dude. Nice guy. I think he gave you everything he could. And I think he was put in a, a really weird, bad set of circumstances. And that's what happens, Nate, in my opinion, to guys who aren't high priorities, who aren't first-round picks. The biggest problem I have with the second and third-round guys, Nate, is they're not treated by the organization the same as the first-round guys. Again, I don't think that's fair. I think it's pretty dumb. But they're not given the same rope. They're not given the same um, allowance to fail. They're just not, Nate. If you're one of those dudes, Brock Purdy, you better be good, and you better be good quick. And I just think, Drew, watch Drew Locke, man. This may be a guy who blossoms later on. He has every indication of that. He's still a young guy. I mean, how old is Drew Locke? 25, 26, yeah. Yeah, Aaron Rodgers didn't play for his first four years, right? So, and, And for a quarterback... You know, it's the wear and tear on your body that sends you to an early retirement for most football players. The reason why you only play three or four years is because your body gets absolutely destroyed. Right. But for a quarterback, if you take a couple years off, it only extends your career on the back end because your body's not breaking down. You're not asking yourself to do things that are absolutely just running you ragged like every other position on the field. So, so a quarterback who doesn't play his first three years might have three years later on the back end of his career and play until he's you know mid-30s, late-30s. Next season, would you rather have Drew Locke or Russell Wilson as your starting quarterback? I would rather have Russell Wilson. Yeah. Okay. He's a better quarterback. And look, I was doing the research last night, man, because I wanted to understand the comparison with Drew Brees and Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson led a team that had 10 wins in eight of his first nine seasons in the NFL. Russell Wilson has more skins on the wall than Mm. Sean Payton. We forget that Russell Wilson was an incredibly successful quarterback. He's thrown for over 4,000 yards four times in his career. we got to put some respect on Russell Wilson's name. He has not physically declined. His mind may not be what you want it to be, Sean. Your sensibilities might be offended by the way he sees the field, but you got to start seeing it the way he does and responding to that with the way you plan for games and the way you call games. Find a way to win with Russell. I think you can. What movie best describes the relationship between Sean Payton and Russell Wilson? Step Brothers, I guess. I don't know. (laughs) (sighs) I was going to say The Grinch Who Stole Christmas, but, you know, either or. All right, Nate. Hey, I want to throw something real quick at you uh, because you you reminded me of it um, when you were talking about Coach Prime. Coach Prime. Does Coach Prime equal Lynn Sanity? Wow. Maybe, maybe yeah, Jeremy Lin, a, a good a good basketball player, NBA caliber player. Yeah, but it swept the country. Yeah, like crazy for like a couple weeks or a couple months. Ultimately, he settled back down to just being a player uh, in the NBA who was trying to make it. With Coach Prime is is he the same way as a head coach? You may have that. I mean, they are getting all sorts of praise for being number one in the transfer portal, whatever that means, but they were number one in the transfer portal last year too. 
Um, and so you kind of like shrug your shoulders and you're like, all right, well, we'll see. And, and then they got Jordan Seaton, that big offensive lineman, five-star recruit. I didn't think they would get five-star recruits. So I was wrong. And I've admitted I was wrong on that. I doubt you'll have the attention at the beginning of the season next year, like you did this year. Why would you? I mean, why will the big noon kickoff and all these networks, they've already done it, Nate. Like, why would they do it again with Coach Prime? Why? He's going to have to prove it. Now, you're going to be in an easier conference. I think the Big 12 in general is just not the same quality as the Pac-12, which is the Pac-2 now. But, hey, look at the Pac-12 this year. Nate, pretty good. Like oh, yeah. some really good teams. Yeah. Way stronger than the, the Big 12. Way stronger. So, inherently, you, you probably are going to have more success but again, how many teams in college football, Nate, win six games a year? A lot. Yeah. Not, I mean, it's cool, right. but it's not that big of a deal. My school, Syracuse, won six games. They're playing in the Who Gives a Shit Bowl. I don't even know. And they fired who, their coach. Who's that sponsored by? Uh, it's Odor Eaters. Oh, cool. Look Which at is that. weird because Odor Eaters are really for your feet. So I guess you'd be stepping in shit. Hmm. Anyways, they fired their coach and they won six games. I like winning six games isn't like the be-all, end-all. And let's just say, see, so you win seven games. They go crazy. Go to a bowl. You lose Shadur. You lose Travis Hunter probably. Well, kind of now what? Yeah. And and so you may be right about that. Like, I'm watching this documentary, this propaganda film on Amazon about Prime. And, and listen, <laughs> the hard knocks thing is one thing. You got to see this film. I mean, my God. I mean, seriously. And they're about to get into when CU starts losing. Uh oh. So, so we'll see how that goes. Yeah. I would love to see CU be successful. I'm not rooting against him. I don't like the style of coaching of Deion Sanders. I don't. I, I, I think he shows unbelievable favoritism towards the guys that he likes. I don't think he's dialed into the entire team. I, I believe cliches and threats against 18-year-olds aren't effective. I'm not a fan of it. So, um, but I still root for CU, and I am glad he's there. I am, because look what it's done to the community and the university and all of that, and it's a net positive for sure. I'm just not a fan of the style. I'm definitely not a fan of the style of Sean Payton, and I know he knows football. I'm not a fan of that. And I, I think Rush should have stood up for himself. I do. And if he didn't want to do it on TV, fine. But I think he should walk down the hallway and say, listen, coach, I know what you were saying, but I really don't appreciate being treated like that um, on the sideline. And I think he's well within his rights. But, hey, man, that's just me. Well, I agree with you as well. He, like we talked about yesterday, he makes more money than Sean Payton. He's, I think he's had more success in this league than Sean Payton. He's earned the right to say how he feels and stand up for himself. And I think his players would respond well to that. His teammates would respond well to that, knowing that their leader was just as feisty as the guy calling plays. And then they could come together and figure out a way to win together. Cause ultimately that's, that's the task. You know, I think I'm influenced because my, my son was uh, coached by a bully coach for two years oh, in college. Right. And yeah. um, all the kids were just scared of this guy. And he definitely did not get the best out of the team. In fact, they I know underperformed. Who you're talking about. I know you know who I'm talking about. And that dude no longer has his job. And um, isn't, it fun, isn't it fun when the guy who sucked 
also gets fired. We kill you with truth. <laughs>